Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Mike Michalowicz, author of Profit First, Transform Your Business from a Cash-Eating Monster into a Money-Making Machine. Now, building your life and business that you love means you have to be making money. And more specifically, you need to be making a profit, which means keeping more of the money that you make in your business. Now, many business owners actually find themselves instead as slaves to their business, the cash-eating monster that requires you to keep growing and keep chasing the next big sale to pacify the business and the anxiety that's then a side effect of being out of control. Now, Mike Michalowicz is a champion of profitability, which is helping business owners realize their need for making a profit and designing a practical working system that doesn't take Iron Man willpower to accomplish. The Profit First system has improved tens of thousands of business owners, saving them from what he calls a doom spiral to achieve instant profitability. Now, keeping more of the money you make is just one step in the bigger journey to time and money freedom. So that's why we here at The Money Advantage help business owners build time and money freedom using our three-step cash flow system to help you keep more of the money you make and then protect that money and then make more by investing in cash flowing assets to build time and money freedom. So who is Mike Michalowicz? Well, Mike Michalowicz is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and is the author of Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, and what Business Week deemed the entrepreneur's cult classic, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and a former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Today, Mike travels the world as an entrepreneurial advocate, speaking to groups just like the Money Advantage community. He's globally recognized as the guy who challenges outdated business beliefs and teaches us what to do about it. So let's dive in. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Wainer. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. I know our listeners get tired of me gushing about our our guests all the time. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, guys, we know you got great people on, but, you know, who we have on today, it deserves all my gushing. Um, (laughs) So so Michael Mikalovich is a... A national author. He's he. You can see him on television all over the place. He writes for national newspapers. And the thing that really resonates in my heart is his statement that he wants to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And that is something that you and I are preaching over and over and over. And we just love the energy when we have somebody like that that is in our in our own uh, mindset. So, Rachel, it's going to be another great podcast today. Absolutely. So, without further ado, Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, it's a joy to be here, Rachel and Bruce. Thanks for having me. And Bruce, I I appreciate you gushing because one of these times you're like, I'm done gushing. This guy's a jerk. I can't stand him. I'm happy you didn't pick me as that guy. Oh no, no, no. we're not going to pick you as that guy. We know too much about you. So, so, far. so Mike, you are an accomplished man, and I know we've covered a lot of this in your bio already. But I know you launched a three three different multi-million dollar companies before your 35th birthday. You um, had the New York SBA Young Entrepreneur Award of the Year when you were just 26. You sold your first company to private equity, your second firm to a Fortune 500. 
You've authored several books, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, and Profit First. You, your books have been translated in 10 different languages. I mean, this is just pretty fascinating. But can you tell us who were you before the books, before the entrepreneurship, before you went into business? Who is Mike Michalowicz? And I hope we're pronouncing your name correctly. No, you're not. Michalowicz. Yeah. No, it's a doozy. And trust me, everyone struggles. It's nasty. <laughs> it's Polish. It's out of control. So uh, <clears throat> I, well, really isn't really isn't much of me before that because I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. Um, nice. I think maybe the interesting part of my story is when I graduated college, go Hokies, I, because I know you're in Virginia Beach. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Rock and roll. I, uh, I graduated college and I thought that I would do what my father had been telling me to do. He's like, you'll get one job at one company for the entirety of your life. He was the last of the you know, the greatest generation, the World War II generation. And um, so I presume that's what I get, but I, I couldn't get a job. I ended mm -hmm. up working at a local computer store. I was that greasy kid that you come in and buy a computer and I would try to sell you a dot matrix printer to get my $5 commission on that. And nice. uh, one particular night after working there for a couple of years, I was out with another guy that worked at the store. And I'm like, what are we doing? And you were drinking beer. I'm like, I could run this business so much better. The the owner sits in the back smoking cigars and just counting money. It's all my sweat that moves the store forward. I'm going to start my own business in, in computers because that's all I knew. And uh, with enough beer in me, um, liquid <laughs> courage kicked in. And I'm like, I'm doing this tomorrow morning. So I, I quit. Oh, wow. uh, hung over. I was starting my first <laughs> business. And... Um, you know what's also interesting too is what you shared, Rachel. I, I so much appreciate it, but th those, quite frankly, are my resume highlights, built and sold companies and that stuff. I, I think the real interesting thing is the stuff between the lines. Um, I, I was terrified when I started my first business. I had no idea what I was doing. Fear mm. was a great motivator for me just to keep working, even though I wasn't making money, um, and keep cranking along. I, I never wow. mastered profit in my first two companies. I was able to sell them. That's where I made some money, but I never made them profitable from the get-go. I have made tremendous mistakes. In fact, one time wiping out all of the wealth I'd accumulated uh, when I launched my third business, which ultimately failed, and mm -hmm. um, had to start anew. And it's it's actually those struggles that I'm most grateful for because it opened my eyes that entrepreneurship is much more difficult than I ever put credit to, and I know a lot less than than I my ego was telling me that I did know. And uh, mm -hmm. that actually triggered me to become an author and, and explore parts of entrepreneurship that I struggled with myself. Well, Mike, I just really appreciate just your authenticity and sharing that. And I think what's interesting is I'm sure that you've noticed this as well, that anyone who has accomplished anything great has gone through the valley in order to be refined and in, in going through that process. And I've never heard a single person say, I went you know, straight to the top and there was no rough roads in between and there was no dips and no valleys. Oh, no, so, right. I mean, I was hoping there would be no dips or valleys. I, <laughs> I know we all do that. <laughs> but um, there was tremendous ones. And you know what? Honestly, when I look at other people that have all these successes, part of me thinks, oh my God, they're so lucky or they're they're jerks. And then my mind sometimes goes, well, they don't even deserve that money. They're probably like dealing drugs on the side. Like <laughs> I do all this nonsense to uh, to justify why I am in, a, in what I see as an inferior position and they're in a superior position and there's a disconnect. And I, I think it's most important for all of us business owners to hear that business entrepreneurship is fraught with struggle. The 95% is the struggle, the effort, the sweat. 
It's the 5% that goes in your resume that looks phenomenal and great. But 95% mm. of the time, we're going to go through struggle. And uh, my hope is to simply just make that path, that journey a little easier. But it's not going to be it's not going to be a no-brainer. There's going to be hard parts. I'm hoping to just blaze a trail a little bit for uh, for fellow entrepreneurs. That's awesome. So when you bring up when you bring up the business owners, do you make a distinction between business owners and entrepreneurs? Oh, you know what? That's a good point. Not really. I, I, I do think entrepreneur recently has become bastardized, and I I almost can't believe I've been saying this recently because everything I write is about entrepreneurs. I believe entrepreneurship has turned into uh, this belief that it's about hustle and grind. That's the actual popular terms mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. That entrepreneurship yep. is workaholism. And I think that's really dangerous. I, I think Absolutely. actually that's the antithesis of what entrepreneurship is. Entrepreneurship, I believe, is to have clarity on a vision, an outcome you want f- for yourself, for your vision, for your colleagues. And then it's choreographing all the resources you have, your team members, the software technology even your clients to make that vision a reality as effortlessly as possible. As efficiently as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But but hustle grind, like, you know, sacrifice your, your family. Uh, Don't go on vacations. Screw everybody. Just work, work, work. And, uh, and then what happens further down the road when you have no family and you have no health? Your family's left you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're the rich, you're the richest loser on the block. I mean, like that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. so I'm kind of retaliating against that. So I, I use the word business owner and uh, entrepreneur uh, interchangeably. I'm actually starting to use a new term as a shareholder. I think as business owners, right. I don't care if your business is doing $100,000 in revenue or $100 million or somewhere in between. You are a shareholder if you started that company or invested in it. A share, like If I own stock in a public company and they send me a distribution, I'm a shareholder in Ford, for example. I don't say, mm-hmm. hey, Ford, I'll show up to work tomorrow morning or... Hey, um, <clears throat> what can I do to return the money to you so we can buy new plants? I took risk. That rewards for me. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. spend any other effort in working there. Uh, the company's rewarding me for taking risk. That's what we are. We're shareholders. We took risk. And yes, we have voting rights and we, we have to have influence. But as quickly as possible, we need to extract ourselves from doing the work. Absolutely. And we talk very often about how to build this life and business that you love. Right. And not just somehow in the future, like 30 years from now, maybe you'll actually be successful or maybe you'll actually have enough money, but really having a business that supports your life that you want to have right now and, and also having a life that is enjoyable and you're thriving on all of these different spheres of life because wealth is so much more than just money. And so I want to ask you, here's something that you talk about really acutely in the Profit First book. And you talk about how a lot of business owners are really slaves to their business. Yeah. So they're not... F- thriving in that shareholder role. They're not really enjoying the fruit of their labor. So how do you help them instead go into that cash producing machine that they went into business to create in the first place? Well, the the great thing is any business can become a cash producing machine. You, You don't have to achieve a certain sales goal. Sadly, most of us believe that to be true. I did. I thought, you know, when I started my first business, <clears throat> once I achieved two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or whatever it was in revenue, I could start taking home maybe two hundred and fifty thousand. And found out very quickly that's not the reality. I got that <laughs> that number. I was taking home zero. Then I said, well, maybe it's half a million. Clearly, at half a million, I'll be taking home something. Actually, I had more debt than ever before at half a million. And then I said, well, we all know million dollars is the magic number. That's why I got to achieve. <laughs> that's and, what everyone says, right? And, yeah, and it ain't. It, there is no mm-hmm. magic number. 
the right. magic is in making profit a habit, not not waiting for it to come down the road one day, but to bake it into every transaction. So what we do is regardless of where your business stands today in revenue, we want to extract profit first, remove it from the business to put this gap in. You see, there's this concept called Parkinson's law. Uh, theorists from the 1950s studying human behavior and notices that as our demand, or I'm sorry, as the availability of a resource increases, more money flowing into the business, more any resource, the more we'll consume of that resource. So yes. an example would be with cookies. I love cookies. You put a cookie in front of me, I will eat the cookie. If you put 15 in front of me <laughs> or the resource, I'll eat probably all 15. I'll get sick, but I'll do it. The same is true for money. As more money flows in our business, we think that'll be the solution, but our consumption rate increases with it subconsciously. Mm -hmm. I bet you every entrepreneur and business owner and shareholder right now listening can appreciate the fact that as your income increases, it seems almost uncanny how much the expenses are increasing. It's Parkinson's oh, yes. law. So, so to answer your question, the goal is to put in this gap, immediately take your profit out first, remove it from your business, hide it, and now you're forced to live off the remainder which will force profitability and allow your business, regardless of its size, to become a cash-producing machine. I don't know if you see this as one of the mindsets, but we see that too. We talk about Parkinson's law also. And yeah, awesome. one of the things that I notice is because people are doing the grind and, and if revenue does go up, they say, hey, I deserve this to take this and spend it on something that I, I've been wanting to do. And, and that's yeah. the profit that they're spending. And, and it's just, it's weird how that mindset works. Oh, totally. You know, Parkinson's study went on, or, or his report went on to say that it is the nature of humans, entrepreneurs, that our today's, I'm sorry, today's Necess luxuries yeah. become tomorrow's necessities, right? So mm -hmm. I, you know, I get a new car and it has heated seats. And within a few days, first, I'm like, this is amazing. Then a few days later, I'm like, how could I ever live without heated seats? Oh, exactly, right? <laughs> and now it's my standard. Like if I don't have those heated seats, and oh. talking, you know, where you all live, Missouri, Virginia Beach, which are some cold <laughs> freaking days. You're like, oh, yeah. You're like, it's inhuman not to have heated seats. So it's very hard for us to reverse back down. So as mm -hmm. our business starts increasing its luxury, meaning there's more money to spend, we will justify I need the nice office space. I need that employee. These are all luxuries we bring in. It's yeah. very hard for us to release those costs. Well, there's actually three um, pieces that I want to pull together from what you just shared because there's this really powerful chart in the book Profit First, and it shows that income increasing or the the revenue, and then it shows the expenses increasing right alongside of it. And then I want to hear it from you, though. What is the solution that most business owners and entrepreneurs then think is the way to fix that. So when, when expenses increase, uh, yeah. yeah. So, well, the, the two traditional approaches are the most common is I got to sell more. Everyone has to sell yeah. their way out of yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, so just increase the revenue. That's the solution for everything. That's kind of what you were talking about before. Oh, totally. Million magic number. And the thing is it, it can happen in small s spits and starts. And, and I noticed because I'll talk with entrepreneurs, I'm just pointing down the street. If, if, I know we don't video activated for, for the listeners, but, <laughs> but down the street here, there's, there's always little small businesses and I'll walk in. I just went to the deli to get a sandwich. How's business going? He's like, oh, it's great. What that means is he had a good day of sales and there was more money in the coffers uh, than he could yeah. spend today. He felt great. Literally tomorrow, I can go in that same deli and he'll be like, oh, business sucks. We are that fickle based upon the gap between sales and expenses. And rarely mm -hmm. do sales jump so much that there's a gap. In fact, 
it sometimes will jump the other way. Sales drop so much there's a gap, and that's when pure panic ensues. So, oh, absolutely. So selling your way out is not the way out because when you sell more, very quickly you're going to start spending more. Parkinson's law will kick in. We need to put in this yeah. gap of taking our profit first. Yeah, and I, I like how you talk about profit first because we talk about as well paying yourself first. I'm sure you're probably yeah. familiar with the book uh, Richest Man in Babylon yeah. and that whole idea of setting your purse to fattening and this idea that you have to save first or pay yourself first. And it's the same the same thing that I'm hearing with profit first in your business, just instead of your personal financial system. But can you talk about what most people are doing instead? What's the typical, you call it the Frankenstein um, gap formula yeah. and why most people are not profitable? So the, the foundational formula for business ownership and Bruce, Rachel, everyone listening has been taught this. I've been taught this. It's in actually thousands of books. We are told that profit comes last. And the, the foundational formula is sales minus expenses equals profit. It's the foundational mm -hmm. formula for all of business. And uh, we even use vernacular around profit coming last. We call it the bottom line the year end. Oh, yeah. Some people call it the final take. What I want people to realize is while logically that formula makes sense, it's a great mathematical equation. So Spock can nail that one. But entrepreneurs, business owners, we are, we are behavioral beasts. And therefore, is natural behavior, when something comes last, that means it's insignificant. Like, like if I said, you know what, I'm going to put my family last, that means I don't give a crap about my family. If I say, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to put my health last, it means I don't care about my health. We would never actually use those terms. We say, my family comes first. My health comes first. Mm -hmm. When something's important, we say it comes first. When something's insignificant or can wait or be delayed, it comes last. You know, the other term for, like, you say bottom, uh, <coughs> that profits the bottom line. Another term that uses bottom is bottom feeder. Like bottom's a very oh, negative yeah. connotation. So what we do in Profit First is we flip the formula. Sales minus profit equals expenses. And I know logically, I just did what's called a variable swap, but behaviorally, this is radically different. Now I'm saying is every time there's a transaction in your business, every single time there's a sale, we're going to take a predetermined percentage of that money as profit, allocate it out, and run the business off the remainder. I love it. And I love how you're focusing on figuring out not just saying that profit comes first, but a system then to be able to put profit at the front and center, the forefront, and really make that a priority. So how do you, you talk about some uh, ideas that you had from the health and fitness industry oh, yeah. in, that we just have these things that we naturally do. And instead of trying to change our behavior, set up the system so that we'll win instead. And so I wanted to ask you about uh, just your, your ideas on that. Yeah. So uh, I was studying the fitness industry and uh, somewhat by chance, ultimately, but then I really dove into it and found the principles for physical fitness translates to the principles of fiscal fitness. And this uh, mm -hmm. fitness instructor explained was one concept that blew me away, the concept of small plates. I don't know if you know this, but in the American diet, this is true now on an international level, plates have literally doubled in size from the last 300 years. So if you look back to 300 years ago, that was around George Washington's time, you look at a plate that him and his compadres were eating off of, we would consider it a coffee saucer or a dessert plate. Uh, wow, yeah. But plates have doubled in size. The interesting thing is our behavior hasn't. So how people ate during that part of history versus today, it was identical. They would fill up their plates with food, and as their parents and our parents told us, they would clean off their plates. But because the plates have doubled in size today, the portions have doubled in size today, so is our consumption, and therefore as a society, our waistline has doubled in size. 
I'm watching this fitness instructor mm-hmm. and she said, don't try to change who you are. You know, P90X is a great program, but if most people can't work out for four hours a day, every day, it's too extreme, <laughs> yeah. too much of a behavioral shift. She said, the better solution is just get small plates to your house. And um, we need to do the same thing with our finances. Most businesses have a single big fat plate. It's called the income account. Well, not the income account. I'm sorry. It's called the primary checking account. Our deposits go in there. We pay all of our bills out of there. And uh, what happens is all the money gets served to our business. Say a thousand dollar deposit comes in. Say we're like, oh, I got a thousand bucks to spend. That's not true, but it looks that way because the whole plate's filled up. So what we want to do is carve up this money into other small plates. And what we do is change that name from the primary checking account to income. And when money flows in now, it's a depository only account. So money comes to an income account. It just sits there. We then carve it up. Like, like a tur- you never serve a turkey dinner by saying, hey, everyone, I just pulled the turkey out of the oven. <laughs> you know, knife and fork, fight for it. Go, go. Everyone for themselves. We carve the turkey <laughs> and then we give it to everyone. So that cash turkey for our business, we're going to carve it up to four other accounts. The other accounts are profit, owner's compensation, uh, taxes, and operating expenses. We carve the money up to these accounts. And then you know, before you spend a penny, what money has been allocated to what purpose before you use it. And you start behaving much more consistently with how that money is intended to be used. So you're putting it onto the small plate as opposed to just digging into the large plate. And I love that turkey analogy. I never would have thought about that, but I think that's just a huge visual uh, for us to all be able to understand. So you then have this instant assessment that somebody can use to figure out what's going on in their financial life, in their business. And can you talk a little bit about that? And then what do you do when you realize, oh my gosh, I am not profitable. I'm not keeping any of my money. And how do you transition to that profit yeah, first system? Yeah, it, it, it's often the shocker for many people. So the instant assessment was a tool I developed so that people have a juxtaposition of where they are today versus where they potentially could be in regards to profitability, but also in regards to paying themselves fairly. <clears throat> the shareholder, the owner of the business that works inside the business needs to be paid as the best employee, in my opinion tax reserve mm. and so forth. What we do in the instant assessment is we enter your historical numbers. And for most businesses, I would reflect on your last year. If your last year was a particular anomaly, like you had the stratospheric growth or struggled particularly much because you lost some key clients, then maybe we, we do an average of the last two years. We then figure out uh, on a percentage basis of what money was being allocated to what purpose in the past. Now, in most cases, most businesses are not profitable whatsoever, meaning they may have an accounting profit, but they don't have any cold, hard cash at the end of the year. That's what I consider profit. So most businesses will say, I did say $400,000 in revenue. I had zero bonuses that I handed out as profit. So they would put 0% there in profit. Maybe the owner paid themselves $40,000. That's 10%. Uh, maybe the business didn't pay any of the owner's taxes on their behalf, which it rarely does. And every other penny, the remaining 360000 went for operating the business. That's the instant assessment where you stand today. We then run it on a comparative against what we call the fiscally elite companies. My company ran an uh, analysis of about 1,000 companies, industry agnostic, to see what the financially healthiest companies would do. And we came up with those percentages that are in the book. And so a company that does 400,000 may actually, a fiscally elite one may be putting 10% of that money or even more into profit. So instead of zero profit, we're expecting you to have achieved $40,000 of profit. The owner may have been paying themselves not 10%, but maybe 20%. So you should be paid 40000 You should be making 80000 in your $400,000 company and so forth. This juxtaposition gives clarity on where we are and where we could be. 
But the step to your question to rolling this out is you don't all of a sudden just shift over to these numbers. It's such an abrupt change to the business. It'd actually be harmful. Mm-hmm. So what a lot of- Oh, sure. A bit too, too abrupt, right? It's like, if you've never run a marathon before, I'll tell you what you don't do for the first day of practice. <laughs> you know, don't run a marathon. Right. You know, stretch. Uh, learn proper running uh-huh. form. So what we do with this instant assessment is once we understand where you are and where you could be, then we devise a rollout plan to slowly and systematically build up that muscle around profit and pay and taxes and so forth. And over maybe a year or two, we get to the elite numbers. I love that you share that because I think um, somebody who does read Profit First and says, okay, I understand that, I mean, you said eight out of 10 businesses fail and usually it's because of lack of profit. And you you also said that almost no businesses are profitable. There's a lot of businesses that you you can say, oh, hey, they look like they're doing great on the surface, but there's not actually a true tangible profit. And I like how you define that's cold, hard cash. Cold, hard. Leftover. You know, and the, and the yeah. funny thing about the eight to 10 that fail, I actually say those are the lucky people because the, the ones who are surviving are the ones who are treading water. The, the, uh, the ridiculous amount of stress mm-hmm. that surviving businesses have is not considered. You know, people say, oh, I survived. I'm in business for five years now. I want to kill myself. But I'm in business for five years. <laughs> like that's no life yeah. either. So, uh-huh. Uh, I actually think that those businesses that went out of business were lucky because they, at least they got out. The survivors sure. need to figure out profit and we got to figure this out immediately. Otherwise it's going to be constant stress. So, and then I like how you said there's this kind of warm up plan to get to the way that an elite business would be performing as opposed to just saying, I need profit. Oh my goodness. I'm going to go from zero to 20% profit tomorrow. Right. You would have to shrink all of your other accounts so much that you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to survive. So how do you make those corrections? Because I know from, from the book, you talk about usually it's the operating expenses yeah. that are out of control, that are sucking up all of the cash flow. So how do you incrementally shift over to reducing that? If you set up these five accounts, remember the first account was the cash turkey, the income account. The remaining four accounts, we usually do 1% adjustments on a quarterly basis to see how we're doing. So let's say historically you had no profit zero that the company distributed in cash. Well, this upcoming quarter, we set it at 1%. So if 400,000 comes in, we're gonna take 1% of that, which is over the year, 4,000 bucks. But we do it you know, every time deposits come in. So it's an insignificant amount of money. But it's significant in that you will start building a cash profit. And that's very significant. You know, A $4,000 bonus check at the end of the year ain't too shabby. I'll tell you that. Uh, mm-hmm. Owner's compensation, say you're paying yourself 10%. We do a 1% adjustment. We go now to 11%. So we don't jump to 20 we go to 11%. If, if your business has never paid your taxes before, I'll tell you, there's no more exciting day. As of, re- as of recording this, this is the heart of tax season. I yep. get I get an email in probably every hour now about people that are like, I can't believe how excited I am to pay taxes, <laughs> which I know <laughs> sounds crazy, but when you set the system and you are actually living it, you'll start to relate to it. Mm-hmm. So we put maybe 1% toward tax. So now between those three accounts, it's one, 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 that's 3%. We look at our OPEX, which was running at you know 96% or 80%, whatever it was, we now have to balance it by removing 3%. So if it was at 80% of our top line was OPEX, now it's 77%. And you run that way for a quarter. And you see, can I do this? By the way, if your business can't afford to pay its, if it can't pay its bills at that time, your business is telling you there's something fundamentally flawed with the business. We've got to reduce costs, increase margin. So your business starts to speak to you. Then after a quarter, then we you know, maybe move that profit from 1% to 2%. Maybe we can bump the owner's pay and tax a little bit. We make the adjustments again back on OPEX. 
and you slowly do this until you hit a level where you've plateaued. Then take a breather for a quarter or maybe two. Then let's reevaluate and can we introduce new efficiencies? Can we increase margins? Can we push forward again? That's the process to roll this out. That's really valuable. Um, I, I like how you talk about not ever going backwards. So yeah. if you set an objective for here's what my operating expense is going to be, don't go so drastic that you end up having to change your mind and and undo that the following year and increase your operating expense again. Yeah, because what we're doing there, if we allow, to, if we increase profit, the profit percentage, they say, oh, I'm going to ratchet it back a little bit. What we're telling ourselves is it's okay to ratchet back. What we're telling ourselves is we can't find a way to sustain that profitability we wanted. Therefore, it's okay to slip back. Um, so what it's better is to take smaller increments going forward. I don't know if this is a perfect analogy. It just comes to mind as weight loss. You know, To say I want to lose 10 pounds and then I lose three, I gain two, I lose four, I gain seven, I lose one. What we're saying is we're not in a disciplined behavior here. I think it's better to lose half a pound, half a pound, half a pound. And yes, we're moving slower, but we're moving consistently in this direction we want to go. So with profit, that's exactly how we want to work. We'd, it's better to move in slow increments, but build the profit muscle than allowing ourselves to get weak, struggle, and, and accepting the fact that maybe maybe we don't have to take profit for a quarter or two. That's unacceptable. We have to improve the fiscal discipline of the business consistently over time. So let me ask you this. So we're talking about profit. We're talking about most businesses aren't profitable. Here's how to get profitable so really big picture, if we just kind of step back and said, why? Why all of this? I mean, obviously, we want to have a good income. We want to be able to have a sustainable business that's not going to go under tomorrow. We want to make sure that things are, um, that we're not one of those businesses that fails or that we're just, you know, hating life 10, 20, 30 years yeah. into business. So what is profit all about in terms of what do you do with the profit and how is having profit? Why is it that, why is it that important in yeah. business? Well, you nailed it, uh, a lot of it. And, and I do have one more kind of significant component, but, uh, it is about rewarding the shareholder. It, it builds that, uh, muscle and appreciation for the business. Um, I've been on both sides. I've been on businesses, not profitable. I've been grateful ever since I started the system for myself almost 10 years ago now. I've had 30 plus consecutive quarters of profit distributions. And as of this recording, the next one comes in four days. Like I, I'm just sitting here salivating in excitement for it. So it builds strength, it reduces stress, um, and it, it builds resistance for, or, or, yeah, resistance, I guess, for the business. When you go through dark periods, having a cash buffer is a powerful thing. I think one other thing I want to add to this, though, is there's a saying out there saying if to, you, you got to give to get, right? If you want to get something, you have to give. And I want to call bullshit on that. I think it's actually the reverse. I think we need to get in order to be able to give. And so I think a lot of people start businesses for noble reasons. I, I did. I want to be of service to my community. I want to serve my clients. I want to care for others. I really want to give. But I think business owners go in saying, well, if I just do the right thing and I, I just give, 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 things will work out. And it's not true. We need to build the health of the business. You need to have that foundation in place. You need to get first. Profit is the getting component. Once you have financial strength, you have the strength to be an extraordinary contributor. Uh, this, this is notorious in the nonprofit in, uh, arena. I see business after business that starts up with such noble, noble things they want to do. They can literally change the world, but they can't keep a penny. They're so unstable. It's, it's horrible. The, our client, if you're for profit, I want you to know 
Your clients are starving for you to be profitable. They're begging for you to be profitable. Now, your clients will never say to you, hey, rip me off. Uh, please take me for all I'm worth. Like, <laughs> they won't use those words. But your clients will right. say, I want to make sure you're going to be around. When I need you, I want you to be there. I don't want you to be distracted with other things. Take care of me. Serve me the best you can. All those Absolutely. things mean you have to have profit. Because if you're not distracted, uh, if you don't want to be distracted, you have to have enough money where, where seeking money is not a distraction. If you want reliability and dependability, you need to have money to get you through all the patches of your business. So you have to be profitable to deliver your clients on their expectations. So they want you to be profitable. Michael, that's I must you must have been feeling my energy through the microphone because that your latest uh, blog on this, uh, your clients desperately want you to be profitable was, yeah, yeah. The, was the next thing I was going to bring up. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know I think it is true. You know I I work in the investment advisory world also, and one of the things that that clients are are always saying is, "Hey, I'm to I'm with you because my guy or my gal she went out of business or she retired or there's a the whole industry has a a word for this they call them orphans. You become an yeah, orphan yeah, yeah. client, and people cannot stand that. Well, we one of the reasons Rachel and I are, are actually podcast co-hosts because we want to assure our listeners that. There's a succession plan, and and we do the same thing with in our investment advisory business. We have a succession plan, so we actually have other people, and people appreciate that in meetings, not just one single person. And I just had it the other night. The person, the 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 person said, you know, we haven't talked about compensation yet. Are we going to talk about that? And I said yes. And then they said, is is Connor here because? He's going to be an older version of you in the future. And that, and I said, that's exactly why he's here. And they go, well, we really like that. So, yes, I, I agree. Yeah. When I read this, because I read a lot of your stuff before we, we had you on, I, I thought this desperately oh, wants you to be profitable. It's true. And people are afraid to admit that. Oh, we're afraid to admit that. And we're afraid to ask accordingly, too. I mean, how many times do we go to a client and, and we're the first ones to say, I can't charge that. That's not fair of me. Uh, if I, if I charge more, they're gonna they're gonna leave me, and then we later we find out that when we do dictate a higher price tag, that many of our customers don't even notice, and some right. are like even like, oh, what took you so long? It's because mm -hmm. they do want us to be profitable and sustainable. They don't want us to be distracted. Um, so I think we have a responsibility. The other interesting thing about the pricing component is when we dictate a higher premium from our customers, we charge more. Customers become more engaged in the outcome. So it's actually a yeah. win win. We charge appropriately for what we do or more than than the average yuckety yuck, right? So we're charging a premium. Uh, we are now more stable as a business. We can provide better service. But also the client, since they're investing more, is more vested in a successful outcome. Mm -hmm. So they participate. They mm -hmm. are actually are better customers inevitably. I love how you brought that out. Actually, in the book, you talk about um, cloning your best clients and firing bad clients. Yeah. And it was just, it was almost this matrix that I envisioned you know, as you were talking through this, and it was the idea of you ultimately want to have clients that l you love working with, that you also that working with them is profitable, not the ones that you don't like working with that are not profitable to serve. And I think that's just powerful what you're talking about right now. Because if we, if any business owner is working with profitable clients, I think both parties are benefiting. Everyone's more. winning. Everyone's winning. Yeah. Hey, the, the next thing I, I'm in a we don't even, it's like a group genius 
uh, with business owners that we get together and we just help each other with their businesses. And then once a week, we actually invite guests and people come in. And so then I started reading your thing, your uh, the 10 things you absolutely don't need to launch your business. And it's a thing that comes up all the time. People come in and they want to start a business and they start saying, well, but I don't know. I don't know anything. You know, you say you don't need a business yeah, degree. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, I don't want to start time my business plan. And we're like, you don't need a business plan. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's it's the absolutely thing, right? the worst thing. And they said, well, I don't have any Internet presence yet. I don't have an office. I mean, all these things on here, I have some now validation to go back and say, you know, there are other people. <laughs> this, yeah. This guy, yeah, thank you. You know, it's, the funny thing about a business plan is like, I'm not poo-pooing oh, planning. Oh. I think we shouldn't go in blind. But a business plan in the traditional sense uh, is so unrealistic. It has financial projections, right? Every business plan needs to have financial projections. And mm-hmm. to me, they're laughable. I, I look at my own business projections when I wrote business plans. And literally, my first company, I had justified that I could do $100 million of revenue in five years. And it was like a no-brainer. And that was a pessimistic <laughs> right. vantage right. point. Uh-huh. But based on what, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll grab, I'll take on five clients, new clients every month. They'll, you know, they'll stay with me forever, of course, because of my great service. And you know, this works kind of starts playing out exponentially, hundred million dollars in revenue. Well, five years in, I was doing, I think, eight hundred thousand and str- you know, struggling. And I looked at the business plan five years later. Business plans are unrealistic in many cases and, and they sit on a shelf. I think we need mm-hmm. to do much more dynamic planning. Clear vision. You know what? What's the dream we have for ourselves? Um, and it needs to be a selfish dream. Like, what's the vision for ourselves? Because the business is a vehicle to deliver on that for ourselves and for our colleagues. So, first, what's our selfish dream? How can the business fulfill that uh, and have a long-term vision, maybe ten years out, and then rewind and look at a very tactical basis in the next week or two? What do I need to do to make that happen? And as th- as time moves on and things change, what do I need to adjust to keep moving toward that dream? It becomes a zigzag pattern, but we're way more likely to get there than writing this, you know, fiction novel called a business plan. Yeah, I call it I call it liar's poker because uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good. <laughs> yeah, I always say, well, all you're building is a lot is a game of liar's poker, and you know the bankers seem to like it, you know, because oh, look, if we screw up, yeah. well, this is what they told us, but it's 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 fiction. It's it's absolutely fiction, and. Yeah. I'm kind of a disciple of Dan Sullivan. I don't know if you're if you're familiar with him. I know of him. Well, Dan says, you know, you got to have a 25 year old, a 25 year vision, and you just mentioned vision, but then you do it a 90 yeah. day evaluation on how you're getting to that vision. Every totally, time. I yeah. totally yeah. agree. So yep. wonderful. So Rachel, we need to get That's we awesome. need to get our our well, listeners how they're how they can get some more great information from Michael. Absolutely. And I wanted to, um, I want to ask a couple of questions before we get there. And specifically, I wanted to ask you about a couple scenarios that I can think probably are on someone's mind as they're hearing you talk about profit. So one, um, we kind of addressed already, if, um, if you're already not anywhere close to where you need to be on the operating expense, uh, what what do you do with that? And I think you kind of already answered that with shoring that up incrementally. But what size does a business need to be in order to take profit first? Oh, so this really works for any size. And I'm not saying that flippantly. We have over 150,000 companies doing profit first now. We we have case study after case study after like thousands of case studies. Consistently, it's irrelevant what size you are. What's relevant is the timeliness. You've got to start sooner rather than later. And you start slowly. That's the key. Businesses that go abruptly into it, 
uh, are negatively affected the most. Here was the most fascinating part of our research, though. We found that smaller businesses can actually ramp their profitability much faster. A brand new nascent startup, what company that starts tomorrow, you can actually run at the full bore numbers in many cases because you don't know better. You, you mm-hmm. actually put pin profit at 20%, pay yourself high. And then when money comes in, you say, well, this is all I got. Since a smaller business or a new business doesn't know better, it performs at level. It's these more established businesses that are been around for years and and or are doing millions of dollars in revenue that need to be very cautious about rolling this out. Do it very slowly, but do it uh, because it will drive your profitability. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And so, what if then you you hinted at this a second ago about um, the business owner needs to be the best paid employee? Oh. Um, you you yeah. mentioned something in the book about a lot of times people take this idea of working on the business, not in it, and they misinterpret that idea. Um, and that can lead to over hiring too early because the business owner just wants to get out of doing the minutia tasks. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. How do you transition to actually paying yourself if you haven't been as a business yeah, owner? So you, you first have to realize you're the best employee. I actually just on Friday of this past week, I spoke at a automotive conference. These are people that own auto workshops like seven, maybe it was 800 people in the audience. And uh, I do that every time I present Profit First. I said, uh, you know, who here has employees? Raise your hand. And a lot of hands go up. And I pick someone in the audience. I say, just tell me the name of your best employee, just the first name. And uh, they'll say, you know, it's Susie or Mark or whatever. I'll say, what's your name? Like, oh, I'm I'm Rachel. I'm like, okay, Rachel, uh, why did you say it was Susie or Mark? Why didn't you say it was you? And they're like, ah. Uh. And I, I qualify. Like, no one works as hard as you, right? No, no one has as much commitment to your business as you, right? Everything I outlined defines the best employee. If we don't pay ourselves, the owner of the business who operates the business as the best employee, it's only a matter of time before we start to resent our business. It's like, how much more do I have to sacrifice myself for everyone else? I hate my business. So we're going to start rewarding ourselves. uh, And and that way we get reinvested in our business emotionally. That's why we need to do it. Uh, How you do this, by the way, is we already shared Start building the percentage. Seven owners comp account. <clears throat> Look at your historical numbers. Let's add 1%, add 1%, and it'll cut expenses. It may force you to look at your existing staff and say, oh my gosh, I'm overstaffed. And you may have to let someone go. Maybe not, but that may be the reality. But unless we start paying you what you deserve to be paid, we will use other people as a crutch while hurting ourselves to carry the business forward. And that's a grand mistake. So start paying yourself and your business will reveal what needs to happen to make that a consistent reality. I love that. Thank you. So so I have a couple questions as we are coming to a close because I know that our audience is dying to figure out more about how to implement this in their own life as it is completely transformational to become profitable and to increase your profitability. So if somebody right now is on that verge and they say, okay, look, I realize from hearing Mike talk that I'm not where I need to be in my business. I'm spending everything I make and I, or I'm not paying myself. How do they find out more and how do they get started? What's the first step in getting started with the Profit First system? Yeah, well, here's what I would do first. I would even buy the book first. I get that pretty early on, but I would actually go set up a bank account immediately. I would go to my bank, set up one bank account and that's it. That's pretty quick, half hour of your time. Make a savings account and start allocating 1% of money to profit just to start building the profit muscle. Then, yeah, I pick up the book so you can start learning the system. I, how I judge a book too is I read 10 pages in. If, uh, if within 10 pages it's not landing with you, it's not speaking to you, it's probably not your book. Um, so you can get free chapters and stuff like that uh, of my book to see if it even speaks to what you need. 
So, so for that, the resources that you're asking about, you can go to my website. It's MikeMikalowitz.com. I actually have a shortcut because Mikalowitz is such a doozy. It's Mike Motorbike. That was my nickname in high school. If you go to nice. MikeMotorbike.com, Mike nice. it'll bring you, and you can, next time I see you, you can call me Mike Motorbike. Uh, because <laughs> people call me that now. Uh, you can download all the resources, uh, all the chapters, not chapters, but two or three chapters from every one of my books are available for free. Uh, Bruce and I were talking off air. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. All those articles are up there. And I'm also a blogger and a podcaster. So uh, all that's at MikeMotorbike.com for free. Very awesome. I'll make sure that we have that link in the show notes as well as the Mike McCallowitz link as well. And then um, the Profit First book. So I want you to talk as well. You've set up a network of professionals, specifically CPAs and people who work on the tax side, um, who are really trained in using and implementing the Profit First system and training their clients to do so. Can you talk a little bit about that and how somebody would find and connect um, besides just coming through us? Because I know that our tax strategist and our CPA team is profit first certified. So yeah, it was awesome when you told me that. They're, yeah, you're yeah. working with Insight. Their Insight Tax is amazing. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I would argue we have another 350 amazing uh, other profit first professionals out there. We, we have a global presence now, and these are accounts and bookkeepers and coaches who realize that traditional accounting and bookkeeping and coaching is very much historical looking. Oh, you you, you did this in the past, and maybe you can fix it in the future. Where profit consulting is very futuristically looking. Here's what we want to achieve in the next six months or next year. And here's the path we need to navigate that to make that a reality. So these are people that have become certified in Profit First. They, we have an, a physical office where you are right now. There's there's about 15 or 14 of us in total. And uh, we have tra- a training facility here. These are people who have gone through uh, pretty extensive training over a six-month period. They've implemented Profit First in their own business. We mandate that. They've been audited. They've rolled it out to countless clients. Collectively, we have tens of thousands if not 50,000 now, rollouts through Profit First Professionals specifically. And nice. so uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to ProfitFirstProfessionals.com. And on that website, you can click on Find One and uh, we'll gladly make an introduction. Uh, and if you're a coach yourself or or an account or bookkeeper, you can click on Be One and you we can research out and see if it's a fit for you to become part of our organization. Very awesome. Awesome. We'll make sure that link is in the show notes too. So thank you for talking about that. And Mike, what if somebody is just interested in finding more about you personally, connecting with you um, online? How would they connect with you, get your other books, find out more about you? Yeah, that's that's the Mike Motorbike website. So go to MikeMotorbike.com. You'll see there's a contact Mike or contact me button. And on there, we can get in touch via email or uh, you can uh, even swing by the office. We've had some surprise uh, readers show up here. Uh, nice. Bearing gifts, you have to bring a gift. Chocolate chip <laughs> cookies, well, well received. Okay. Cookies, cookies probably yeah. sound like a, a fan there. You wouldn't believe how many cookies we get here because everyone knows about my addiction. Um, nice. So, but thank well, God, at least, you're not putting on the, at least you're not putting on pounds as a result of that. No, because I avoid they're them. Small cookies, as, right? Yeah, I do small cookies. <laughs> I, my colleagues are also addicted, so I nice. close my office door and I stay in here until I know they're all eaten up and then I'm safe again. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So you don't have to change your human behavior on that one. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we'll make sure those links are in the show notes. And Mike, I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing your your insight, your knowledge, your wisdom with us. I know you've been on your own personal journey. That's just been truly transformational for you. You've transformed the lives of many, many, I believe tens of thousands of people or yeah, tens of thousands as I'm looking at, um, at the notes here. And it's just, it's fascinating what you're doing for businesses 
and eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. So thank you for thank being you. here. Well, it means the world to me that, that, that both you had me on. So Rachel and Bruce, thank you so much. You're welcome, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Do you have an established business and make great income, but feel like you can never get ahead or just plain have financial confusion? Get the business owner's three-step roadmap to achieve time and financial freedom without working harder or sacrificing your lifestyle. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash roadmap to get your roadmap and free training. And when you register, you'll also get access to our ultimate money finder cheat sheet that you can use to recover lost cash flow and save on taxes. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.